Hello and welcome to the long-awaited draft episode of the Jaguar Report podcast coming to you live from two weeks into the future after the Jaguars selected Trevor Lawrence, eight other players in the NFL draft. It is your co-host John Shipley along with my man Gus Logue. Gus, how you doing, man? I'm good, John. I think we get like a month buffer in the offseason. I mean, there's nothing Nothing else going on, obviously. So I think I, we, I, we can spare ourselves a little bit of time. I agree. And we, we deserve time to kind of kick back and turn our brains off. I'm like, I remember the Sunday after the draft, I didn't do a single thing and it, it, it felt magical. It, it, it truly did. But yeah, no, it, it, it did. But nonetheless, you know, uh, we, we've actually, this is our third different attempt this week to uh, host this podcast. I can say in complete honesty, both times that we did not do it the uh, originally were both completely my fault. So you know, <laughs> keeping up with Jaguar Report podcast tradition, you know, we're strong things. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's there, the way it is. One have it any other way. There's a lot to talk about though, Gus, with the Jags, you know, just from the draft to the schedule released the other day to everybody's favorite hometown hero quarterback turned broadcaster turned minor league baseball player turned tight end question mark. Tim <laughs> You might have missed out a couple there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw somebody be like, well, Tim's getting a second wind. And I'm like, it's like a sixth or a seventh. Yeah, I don't know about that. How many NFL teams has he been on? Like four? This might be his fifth. I, think I don't even know. Been on the, what is it? The Broncos, the Jets, the Patriots, and the Eagles. And this would be his fifth, which, you know, it it has not officially happened yet. So, well, with that. With that said, you know, like I said, a lot, lot to go over. Uh, you know, we figured, you know, between the draft and the schedule release, you know, Gus and I are going to do our classic case of let's throw everything in the one podcast. Let's go <laughs> ahead, run through, and give our unfiltered, here, unadulterated takes on each. Gus, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. Obviously, the draft, uh, the the biggest draft in my opinion in franchise history. Uh, not just because, you know, obviously the team was picking first overall for the first time in team history, but because what they do with the rest of those picks, including, you know, five picks in the top 65, you know, one born in the first round, two in the second, those picks are going to help determine, you know, if Lawrence is a success or not. And, you know, it's not surprising to see they use two of their four other, you know, top 65 picks on uh, offense to help prop up Lawrence, you know, and walk a little on Travis Etienne, but you know, obviously, Gus, you know, the first pick started off with Lawrence. Zero surprises. Uh, you know, we had been saying for months that, you know, you know, it didn't matter who the head coach was, that Lawrence would be the pick, but he would especially be the pick because Urban Myers, the head coach, and Jacksonville never wavered. You know, they made the easy choice, and it was the most anticlimactic pick I have ever seen at number one overall. <laughs> that, that is saying something. Like, I, I, I mean, I was there at the stadium, you know, on the field when he got picked, and there was pure like electricity in terms of joy and happiness from the fans that you could tell was genuine. But like I said, it, 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 it literally felt like, you know, the, the NFL that made them, you know, they said so on their, you know, call with Lawrence, the NFL was like, all right, wait till a minute and a half, two minutes to turn in this thing. <laughs> it literally was eight minutes of just, okay, wh- what are we doing here? But now Lawrence was my number one player in the class. So no questions about that pick. And, I think it's going to be a pick that's going to shape the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, for years to come. Yeah, his biggest strength is that he just, like, has no weaknesses to his game at all. Um, But, yeah, like you said, it's just pretty obvious. But it feels like it's been obvious for months now. Urban hasn't even hinted at it. He's literally said it multiple times. (laughs) That's been the plan. And so it was just – 
I guess nice to get it over with, over with. It was more of relief than satisfaction, right? Something like that. But the yeah. the most entertaining part of seeing them draft Lawrence was seeing the video they tweeted of Shad Khan meeting Lawrence at the stadium for the first time. It it, <laughs> it, it, it looked like a kid who had just gotten a puppy for Christmas. Dude. <laughs> he, he 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 wanted to skip down the street. He was so happy. Yeah, that was really great. Yeah, no, and you know, obviously uh, Lawrence, you know, uh, you know, let us all aware of a few things following. He said, you know, his shoulder shoulder rehab surgery is going rehab from surgery is going well. You know, he got surgery in February on his non-throwing shoulder, his left labrum. And he's actually going to be participating at, you know, rookie mini camp this weekend. It remains to be seen exactly what he's going to be doing, but at the very least he'll be out there in the red number 16 jersey and uh, you know, donating the Jaguars no longer two-tone helmet. Yep, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so. no, I, I, and and I I really think, like, just the fact that we talked for so long about, okay, Lawrence is going to be the pick, Lawrence is going to be the pick, it kind of took away from maybe the luster of just how significant of a, like, of a moment it was for the Jaguars. But I, I kind of get the feeling that, you know, every time there's a picture of Lawrence in Jaguars gear or, you know, tomorrow when they tweet out the video of him on the field, it's just going to be feel like it's hitting people like, you know, like a ton of bricks again. Yeah, definitely. The first picture of him in a uniform, and then whenever there's going to be footage of him uh, from training camp or rookie camp in the next couple of days is going to be nice for sure, especially because, like, during throughout all of draft season, everyone was focused on all the other quarterbacks. Yeah. Not because they had any competition to be the first overall choice, but because the first overall choice was so obvious, it wasn't worth spending time on it. So I was going to yeah. say, other, other than those couple – other than that, like week or so, following the sports art or sports illustrator article, uh, I'd say for like the last month and a half of their draft process, Mac Jones was talking about born Trevor Lawrence and just j- just a non-Jaguars related take. But I am I am completely bewildered and re- record-breaking levels of upset at the people who made us waste time talking about Mac Jones at number three overall. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty atrocious. It's, everyone seemed to believe it too. Like people like Shefty were I'm like curious. saying it too. Yeah, yeah. That that it's not like it was uncredited sources. But yeah, but I agree. That's just reason sixty-seven why draft season is the worst. <laughs> and but I, I I think you know like we had said we you know Lawrence has been talking about so much that you know I kind of lost the luster of you know that kind of big moment. But I, I I really do think Lawrence uh you know is a special player because like you had said. There just aren't many weaknesses. You know, there are definitely things he can do better and some things that he's maybe not elite at, but I can't imagine. Like, I I, I saw somebody tweet after the draft, uh, you know, would you take Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow moving forward? And I, I, I haven't even seen Lawrence in a game yet. You know, he could be Jamarcus Russell, for all I know, but I'm I'm taking him over Burrow just with the information we know right now every time. Even, yeah. if, Burrow, even if Burrow was healthy, I would take him. I think a more interesting question is uh... – Herbert. Herbert, yeah, especially because like that was such a strong like player comparison, and then like at that point, I feel like you have to factor in more since they're pretty much the same type of quarterback. Wouldn't you rather have the person that's performed in the NFL at a high level already, even if the other one was technically a better prospect? And so I think that's a little bit of a better question. But yeah, and uh, Jags fans, even if they didn't get the like super great moment for the the night of the draft, they got their moment. Uh, the night that the Jets beat the Rams, and so I think that was a good enough. Oh yeah, makeup for them. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, just I'm curious, who are you taking? You you taking Herbert after year one or Lawrence entering his rookie year? Putting you on the spot. 
Uh, I would say Lawrence, but I'll take I'll take Herbert over Burrow. I guess is my point that I was trying to make. But it, yeah, no, I, I would too. Along, but with, it's definitely close. Along with about a dozen or so other quarterbacks. But yeah, no, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm with you uh, for sure, for sure. Well, you know, obviously there's there's not much more that really needs to be said, you know, about number one overall pick. We kind of, you know, if, if there's ever been a dead horse a beaten, it's it's this one. You know, Trevor Lawrence at number one overall. He's been talked about as a top pick since he was in high school. Uh, if, if you want to read more about Lawrence and the kind of person and teammate and leader the Jaguars are getting, uh, I talked to Clemson offensive coordinator and assistant head coach uh, Tony Elliott about him and Travis Etienne. Uh, that story is up live on the site now. He gave some really good quotes, uh, you know, including, you know, like uh, with Lawrence, he just said, I mean, the, the man's, you know, been a winner everywhere he's been and that he doesn't have any question that he doesn't know what it takes at the next level. So, that, there's a interesting story there if you want to get to more Lawrence. But, you know, now we move on to his Clemson backfield teammate uh, and Travis Etienne. Uh, I, I know a lot of people, especially nationally, I've, I've never seen so many people offended at a pick. <laughs> then, you know, people were offended at the Jaguars picking Etienne at 25 overall when they do have James Robinson in the backfield. Uh, I, I feel like this is a pick you and I talked about for a long time, you know. Maybe not always at 25, but I think you and I pretty – pretty much picked ETN as the running back in the process who we thought, okay, there's going to be a guy the Jaguars kind of take a swing for. It's going to be him. So, you know, once they selected him at 25, I can't say I was overly surprised because, I mean, we, we had talked about before that the, the way the board fell and the way this draft class is, there was never going to be good value at 25. But the Jaguars still took an interesting direction, you know, you could say with ETN uh, being the selection. Uh, you know, they've said a lot about ETN and the role they envisioned for him moving forward since then. But Gus, go ahead and give me what, what was your real reaction to ETN at 25? Well, first of all, as soon as Roger Goodell set, sat down in that armchair of his, I knew it was going to be a cursed pick or at least a pick that was not going to be very popular. Because I think that was the first pick that he made where he just like sat down in the chair and was like basically like back at a 45 degree angle and I was like oh no here we go <laughs> and so uh I, at first I was a little bit shocked honestly just because there were some players still available that while I agree with you that it wasn't a super strong like board as it fell to 25 like there was still Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State yeah Barmore from Alabama uh Trevin Murrig from um TCU and so there was plenty of players that were worthy of a 25th pick. And so I that's like the main reason to be upset about the ETN pick, if you're going to be, is just opportunity cost. Like we said on a podcast or two ago, like that's kind of the same deal with the Chiefs in the CEH pick, where like, yeah, he can probably, even though he didn't have a great rookie year, he probably can help the offense. But is it really going to be better than getting like a linebacker, which they desperately need? or like another uh, cornerback. And so it's the same thing, same thing for the Jaguars where, uh, I mean, he'll be fun for sure, obviously, but would you, yeah. you rather have a more valuable position and one that's like the most replaceable in football. What's interesting to me is I agree with you on all those guys. And then JOK was another one. These are all guys that were picked like pick 38 or later, you know, the, 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 these weren't guys that ended up going just a few picks after, you know, like the yeah, Jaguars. My question is, are there any guys in the first round who you would have drafted over ETN? Because I have, I think there's a clear and obvious answer, but I'm, I'm curious what your stance is. 
All right. Well, how about you? Let me know what yours is, and then I'll go back to the board. I was gonna say let, let you go ahead and look at the guys we drafted <laughs> in the first round. I was gonna say I really like Bateman, but like I would say Bateman in general over Etn. Yeah. Not necessarily for the Jaguars. I would say Greg Newsom, just because the Jaguars went corner at thirty-three overall. Yeah. Why not get the better cornerback prospect? A few, you know, a few picks. You know, not even ten picks beforehand, and then. You know, then they could have gone with that offensive weapon type with, you know, say like Elijah Moore at 33 overall. I think, I think if they get, you know, Newsom and Elijah Moore at 25 and 33 instead of ETN and Campbell, you probably see people, at, at least, you know, nationally, people were semi high in the Jack shaft, not as high as probably Jack's fans were hoping. But I, I think if you change those two picks, and I, I, I think if you just take, you know, him specifically, I think that kind of changes things. I, I Newsom, in my opinion, when, when I saw who went off in the first round, that was the first thing that came to my mind was that I felt like Newsom would have been a better pick. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is like national people have like every right to be upset, I guess, just because all the nerds have taken over Twitter and debunked ru- running backs and all that stuff. But the thing is that like, yeah, James Robinson is on the roster and you want to give him a lot of carries because he's really good. But, like, Travis Etienne isn't going to be, like, a 1A or B or 2 running back. He's going to be, like, a running back slash receiver. And so that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be Florida Gator Percy Harvin, but he's going to have a lot of targets and a lot of receptions, and that's going to be a big part of their offense for sure. I think right out of the gate, as long as he has even just a decent offseason to start with the Jaguars, then he's going to be a featured player for them. Yeah, no, I'd imagine, you know, he's – probably, you know, up there among, you know, the leaders on the team and targets, you know, by, by the end of the season. I mean, in, in terms of touches, I can't imagine there's going to be many players above him. For, you know, all, all the people, you know, claiming James Robinson's still going to play a ton, I really think ETN's going to be, like, their clear-cut guy in the backfield. You know, they they, they took him at 25 for a reason. And I, what was interesting to me, Gus, was after the draft, Meyer admitted that the player he wanted to take that got drafted before them was Florida's Kadarius Tony. So he was basically – he was taking that kind of dual-threat, offensive, basically human highlight reel type guy who, you know, maybe isn't like Harvin but can maybe kind of be utilized in all areas of the offense like Harvin. It seemed like he was taking that guy at number 25 overall, doesn't it? Yeah, that's fair. Would you rather have had Tony or Etienne? Etienne. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it. If you're talking just pure football players, it's ETN by a lot, but I think it's a little bit closer when you're taking the positional value, but I'm not sure how much value Tony actually has as an actual receiver. So I, like I said, if you're, if you're going to take an offensive weapon, uh, if you want a 125, I would have personally taken Elijah Moore. Yeah. Elijah Moore. That's, he's going to be really fun in the Jets offense for sure. But yeah, Tony is like, almost seems like a luxury pick. And like, if you, you want to take a luxury pick and like, the third round for like that type of gadget player i at, feel like not in the first at least with etn i feel like you can make the argument of yeah robinson's productive but they needed more speed in the backfield if they drafted tony i would have been like what what's the exact vision <laughs> you know like here, yeah like where exactly is your fourth best receiver going to be on the field every snap exactly that's why i didn't want the jaguars to draft a receiver in the first round because they are, already have three good ones that sh- it all be starting on a yeah. team so but it, it'll it's just be a matter of who's not going to see the playing field and that's and, a big issue for when there's so many other roster holes 
and that makes it fascinating because Meyer basically made it seem like, you know, if Tony was on the board, you know, he, he, he would have been the pick. And But I, I, I'm with you with ETN just because I think he can give you similar things in the passing game that Tony can. And then you factor in what he can do as a running back. You know, I know Tony saw snaps in the backfield of Florida, but he he's not going to doing that at the NFL. So I, I'd agree with you. I, I'd say ETN is probably a better pick than Tony. But then again, if that's the parameter we're judging picks on, then, you know, probably, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's then nice. All right. I've got a galaxy brain hot take for you. Let's so <laughs> like Tyreek Hill is probably the best receiver in the league, partly because he's a really good receiver and football player, but also because his presence on the field alone changes how defenses have to play against the Chiefs. Because if you're playing one high safety against them, then his speed on the sideline can just like evaporate a defense. And so you're basically forced to play two safeties over the top against the Chiefs in order to counter his speed, which then opens up like light boxes and easier runs for Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the Chiefs offense or running game. Um, and so my galaxy brain take is that ETN is almost like the antithesis of Hill and that if he's like dominant enough and like his speed and contact bounce and all that stuff translates and he's able to like be really good in like the shallow area of the field, then people are going to have to be drawn to the box and like draw yeah. across the line of scrimmage. And then like Lawrence will be able to manipulate defenders with his eyes, which he already was a beast at in college and hit all his receivers pretty easily intermediate and deep. But I mean, with that being said, he's still a running back and I don't know if like, defenses are going to change yeah. that much. I, I, I think the thing that made the ETN pick more questionable for me was seeing where guys like Michael Carter and Kenneth Gainwell got drafted. You know, at the top, you know, in the fourth was round. Was Gainwell not drafted until like the sixth round? I think it was the fifth round. Okay. And obviously ETN is a better player than each of them. But right. like you said, it's opportunity cost and they're, yeah. you know, similar archetype of players. But I'm, I'm fascinated to see it just because I you know, one of my favorite tools is, you know, a player profiler, you know, I, I believe it's Roto Underworld or one of the million Roto sites out there. <laughs> I've stopped, I've stopped attempting to keep track of them. Yeah, who knows? Uh, they, they, they do a good job of putting together like speed and agility scores and comparing players uh, physically. And ETNs is actually DeAndre Swift, which is super interesting to me because we saw him with Daryl Bevel last season. And Gus, I know you got something cooking there. Don't, don't give away any, any of the takes now, but I it, when people have asked me like what like what's a reasonable expectation for ETN because you know we've all seen the Alvin Kamara comparisons and that's obviously a high end comparison but we're not going to talk about the fact that Kamara was a third round pick but nonetheless but uh, <laughs> I, if we're going to talk like a reasonable comparison I think I think Swift is like an understandable floor I agree and yeah I'll I'll have something coming out in the next couple of days about how Bevel used Swift in the passing game which is really cool, um, especially because like they actually used a ton of choice or option routes out of the backfield for him, which is something that obviously Kamara and the Saints do a ton. And so it was kind of cool to see Bevel use Swift in that way. And hopefully ETN skills will be able to translate and kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, and I, I, I guess my, my last point on this, Gus, is I got asked the other day, uh, you know, like, was ETN the pick because, you know, he was Lawrence's college teammate? I'm of the opinion, just knowing what Meyer wanted on offense and what they've said about ETN's role, that he could have been wearing, you know, like any other college's jersey the last four years, and he still would have been a pick at 25 because 
I mean, we identified him pre-draft for a reason. It just seemed like every single thing they said they wanted on offense this offseason is kind of what he brings to the table. Yeah, it was definitely more of a he's a really good football player who we think could fit in our offense. And a bonus is that he played with Lawrence in college. It definitely wasn't let's go look at Lawrence's teammates and see which one could fit for us. I think it was definitely the former version first. But my yeah. comparison form is uh, Miami Duke Johnson Jr., because I, I didn't even watch really much of Duke Johnson Jr., but then I saw that he they were like comparables or whatever for the traits, kind of like you said, um, him and Swift are, but they like they seem like the exact same player. It's kind of crazy. And we were saying earlier, or at least I was, that Duke Johnson would be a really good fit in the Jaguars' offense as a free agent signing. So, where are you giving me that face? Is that a bad take? Explain to them the face I'm giving you. Mario, I don't know. <laughs> I, Mario, Duke Johnson, I pa- passing wise. Miami Duke Johnson, Miami's all-time leading rusher. He can pass protect. Duke Johnson's a great pass protector. Okay, he, yeah, and he can't and, 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 can't, and he can't really run the ball. Well, at Miami, he could. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. At, all right, yeah, yeah. That's ACC, what I'm saying. Duke Johnson, okay, ACC. The exactly. guy, the guy whose career numbers ETN lapped by like three times over. Yes, I, I, I I'll give you that. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what, what do you grade the ETN pick? Don't. <laughs> I had a second round grade on him, and he was like my thirty third overall player. So, in terms of like where he was drafted, I wouldn't say it was a massive reach, but just positional value wise, I mean, I. It'd be a D plus if it it'd be a D minus to an F plus if it was Najee Harris. I'll give it a Agreed. C minus. That's it's like at a seventy, but near like a sixty nine point nine, just because ETN is such a good fit. Is, yeah, is that, I I would but, say C plus for the same reason, just because I think he's gonna like make up for it as a receiver enough yeah. that it's like won't won't be like a disaster, and it like it won't be a disaster anyway because he's a good enough football player that it won't be, but. Yeah, I, I just think that his – when you look at him as, like, a dual-threat player and not just label running back on him, then yeah. that makes it a little bit better. But, yeah, uh, uh, minus and C-plus, we're on the same page. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, like I said, uh, when you're comparing him to, like, two of the other skill players drafted in front of him, you know, if you say, okay, one of ETN, Tony, and Najee Harris, who's the best player for the Jaguars taking 25? I, I, I feel like ETN's kind of, like, comfortably in a league of his own. By a mile, right? yeah. Yeah, I mean, Najee Harris is a good player, but if the, Jaguars, if the Jaguars took him or Javante Williams, I would have called it the worst pick of the draft. It, it would have made zero sense. Yeah, that, that would have been pretty brutal. But My my final Javante Williams take, I know I've been on the bandwagon trying to, you know, tar- tarnish. <laughs> but <laughs> Travis Etienne is bigger and faster than Javante Williams. It, people, but does he have as many PFF broken tackles? Yeah, exactly. He, I, I always see like ETN get talked about as like a smaller like scat time back. He's literally like eight pounds heavier than Williams. Yeah, I hope ETN grows his hair back like Camara because he's, he's so swaggy with that. I, I, I'll be honest, when I saw ETN at in person at the press conference the next day, he is bigger than I thought he'd be. Okay, well, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah he, he, he is a bigger dude. So, no, we're, especially we're, standing next to Lawrence in that video that the Jaguars posted. Yeah. Like, Lawrence kind of made him seem like a scat back just because Lawrence is so big himself. Lawrence is a string bang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, is, Lawrence is tall, man. But I, I feel like we're pretty much on the same page in the sense that 
we both really like Etienne as a player. We both really like the fit. And really our only issue with it is do you need to use the 25th overall pick on that? But I, I, I think we're virtually on the same exact page there. Yeah, you signed it up pretty well. For what yeah. it's worth, I did like a composition of all of the like national grades. So from like uh, websites like The Athletic and Bleacher Report and USA Today's For the Win, um, there's eight total and their consensus grade for the Lawrence pick was obviously an A. And I assume that we both give it an A. But then for uh, ETN, they give it a D plus. Really? There were lots of people unhappy that the Jaguars would take a running back. Tons. And I think I almost kind of like that because I think that means that more people appreciate John James Rob. Oh, Jesus. James. Oh, jeez. I had a hairball. Sorry. James Robinson. Uh, um, and he's so. trying to say people appreciate James Robinson. You start convulsing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess there's a reason for that. I don't know. But. <laughs> No, I, Ray and, Robinson's really good though, so I'm glad yeah, that no, national he, folks like him too. And I, I still think he's going to have a role with Jaguars. I, I don't think it's going to be the role he had last year, where he's literally like, where he's the dude that's on the field for literally every single important snap. But I still think he's going to play an important role. He's obviously significantly better than Carlos Hyde. Uh, he, he's more prepared to like to rush against you know those tight boxes and Travis Etienne right now. And he is hands down the best pass protector that they have in the backfield. For sure. Yeah. yeah. He so, was the fact that he ranked six in rushing yards despite being on like the team that ranked either last or second to last in like um time of possession when leading and had the worst record in football and 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 it's just ridiculous. And the most pass attempts in the NFL. Yeah. So, like <laughs> it's disgusting it's that quarterback for him too. It's so I much. wonder if they go. 0-16 without him. Like, how bad would it have been if, like, I don't they, even know who their primary running back would be. They honestly probably would have. It would have been Chris Thompson and you. Like, you're not giving Chris, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you Chris Thompson more than, like, 25 carries in one season. <laughs> I thought you were about to say one game, and I was like, dang, that's a hot number. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, m- moving on. Uh, pick number 33, Jaguars took uh, Georgia Bulldogs cornerback Tyson Campbell. Uh, it was a pick that surprised a lot of people because the Jaguars paid an outside cornerback in Shaquille Griffin, and they drafted C.J. Henderson last year at number nine overall. And they also re-signed Sidney Jones this offseason. And it you know, also surprised people because you know guys like Tevin Jenkins and guys like Christian Barmore were still there. I, just as a pure player, I, I didn't think Campbell was the late first-round prospect that I saw a lot of people say. But I thought all the tools were there and he just really needed the right spot to develop them, but, but that he wouldn't be a fit for every defense. But I think the Jaguars defense is probably one of the best fits that he could possibly found because his, his best trait is his patience at the line of scrimmage and his ability to, you know, really stay in sync with the receiver throughout the entire route, you know, from the line of scrimmage to the final break in the route. And I think landing in the Jaguar scheme where he's going to be asked to be on the man uh, line of scrimmage a ton and just play man coverage and just really mirror receivers, I think that's probably the best thing that he could have asked for. And, you know, he obviously – he has to improve a lot in terms of ability to find the ball in the air. But I think this was a pick that when you consider the scheme fit, it's a lot better than I think some people probably anticipated. Including out of the slot, though? Like, would you say the mirroring and all that stuff, you believe he can do the same thing inside versus outside? I I play C.J. Henderson in the slot. With that said – 
Cam- Campbell does have some traits that I think translate to the slot. I mean, he's a fantastic tackler. Uh, he, he's got lots of length. So probably if you want to put him on like shifty slot receivers, probably no, not. But if you want to put him in like underneath zones, I think he can manage. That's fair. Yeah, that was like the main reason that I was surprised by it because if like CJ Henderson was on a team and you draft Campbell in the second round to play like outside man press corner across from Griffin, then I think that makes a lot of sense. But just because nickel is such a glaring need and the Jaguars do have CJ Henderson, I thought it would have made a little more sense to go with someone like Asante Samuel, who has a little more versatility. And I mean, I guess by versatility, people mostly just mean that he's small and put him in the uh, slot, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see, especially just because also like we've been saying all off season that Colin is going to play like so many defensive backs oh, yeah. and play nickel sets and dime sets. And so when you consider that, you think you want like three versatile corners versus three corners who are probably or almost definitely best outside and can probably move inside. Yeah. Um, hey, but we'll see. I, I think just in terms of sheer talent, the cornerback room has taken a big jump, you know, compared to like week one last year. Yeah. But like you said, we need to see how it all shapes shakes up because I mean, if you're just reading the tea leaves right now, it seems like Campbell is their nickel just based off the comments Meyer has made in public. Yeah. Uh, the comments that he made to uh, Col- uh, Chris Collinsworth. I almost called him Colin Collinsworth. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, so I'm with you. Campbell's probably like of their first five picks. If you, if you had told me a pick that I probably would be lower on, it's probably the Campbell pick and the ETN pick. The ETN pick was more so because of value. Whereas the Campbell pick, like you said, it's more so a question of, okay, well, how exactly is this cornerback room going to shape up? And then, like I said, if, you, if they were intent on taking a cornerback so early, I would have just taken Greg Newsom. Yeah. And to be fair, also, like CJ Henderson had a really good week one last year, as did the rest of the Jaguars roster, I guess. But like after that, he was like battling injuries yeah. and he certainly wasn't awful, but he's he not wasn't a great to be either. Good. Yeah, exactly. And so he's not a lot to be bad either, but that should definitely be like, I, I don't know. It was it, fair for people to assume that he would start across from Griffin, but like assuming that he would be a starting quality, like good corner yeah. is a little bit of a reach at this point. So I, I think I would say that, I mean, would you say there's at least there's a credit for the strategy of pouring resources into the secondary? Because I'm, I mean, that's that's three cornerbacks who, at least in an ideal scenario, you know, that you could consider, you know, potentially starting level players. So I mean, considering how half happy yeah. the NFL the NFL is, is st- stacking up at cornerback like that, like is that a good move? I, I would say so. I mean, that's the whole like Colin Ravens thing at this point in the offseason has been like pretty tired, but that is like what the Ravens have done is stack up a corner. They drafted Humphrey in the first round. And then they traded for uh, Marcus Peters for a bag of peanuts. And they've got plenty of other good options in the secondary. Um, so, yeah, I, I credit it. And, I mean, the whole pass rush versus pass coverage thing just kind of doesn't make sense because there's not really one firm answer. And it's, like, just completely situational. But with they've that being said – They've kind of gone coverage. What do you say? They've kind of gone all in on coverage. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, I mean, I think a lot of that is that Colin, like, is going to, like, 
just stunt the crap out of them I think and just too. like wheel chase on like all the way around the line of scrimmage <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's honestly going to be a ton of fun, not just to see like how the D line plays, but like how the D line is deployed. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like it. Yeah, no, I am too. So how, how would you grade the Campbell pick? I would say C plus, honestly. Yeah, I'd, I'd say C. Like I, I, I think it's a, I, I think if you can put him on the outside, it's a good scheme fit. On the in, inside the slot, like I said, he's a good tackler, good blitzer, has good length, but I, I just kind of question the agility. So I, I, I'd give it, like I said, a C. But And I will say that Campbell, it looks like, was probably going to be a pick at 33, no matter who was picking. Because I, I think I saw it reported that the Cowboys wanting to move up to 33 to pick Campbell. And then they ended up taking um, Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky. Yeah, I, I saw the same thing. I also saw that uh... – Apparently the Saints picked Joe Tyrone at 32nd overall because they were confident that the Jaguars would have at 33. So that's kind of another interesting twist. Want to make your own podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. And here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Uh, the next pick, Walk the Little. Uh, it, if you had asked me which Jaguars pick I thought was the best non-Lawrence pick, pro- probably Little. And I, I, I'm not sure it's really that close. Yeah, Waddle is a kind of or Waddle. Waddle. <laughs> anyway, Walker Little. Little is a super interesting pick because like value is such like a key term in the draft and whatever, and like everyone just loves to hammer the word value. And so like depending on who you ask, Little was either like a tremendous value or a terrible value because like he was a projected first round tackle and like one of the best prospects. Um in the NCAA at tackle going into the 2020 season. And then he opted out for what it's worth just because of COVID and it wasn't like injury related. So it's yeah. not like he's been injured for two straight years, but now like he's like probably like a third round player by most people who were like grading the draft leading up to this year. Just because you haven't and then seen he him fell so right long. in the middle. Yeah. So now, at, my, my hot take is if there was no pandemic last year, that Walker little would be a charger right now. Ooh. So you think they would have taken him instead of Herbert in the first? Yeah. I, I think he would have been the second lineman drafted. Okay, well, so you're giving it an A plus for the Jaguars? I I'm giving it an A. I, I honestly am. It, it it is. I think he is a guy who has the long term potential to be a high quality starting left tackle. And the biggest thing that he needs is just kind of time to get comfortable back on the football field. And you know, because they basically spent you know the 13 million dollar franchise tag on a one-year way to kill time at the left tackle position with Cam Robinson. This is kind of a perfect landing spot for him. You know, he can go in yeah. there and, and compete and push Robinson from the start, but if he's not ready, he doesn't need to start. Whereas now when Robinson's contract is up, now the Jaguars aren't kind of negotiating with one hand behind their back when it comes to other left tackles, you know. They they, they could have been left kind of, you know, running like around like the Colts this offseason, doing anything yeah. they can to find a left tackle. Whereas now they had Kyle Hath, a natural guy to kind of put in there in that spot. And I, 
I, I, I was a big fan of Little's uh, uh, tape. Literally, the only thing that dropped him for me was we haven't seen him play in two years. But like you said, it's not like he's been hurt for two years. He would have played last year had there not been, you know, a worldwide pandemic. Right. Yeah, no, I'll, I would give it a B plus, And it was actually a C plus for consensus. I forgot about Campbell. Campbell was great as a B minus by national I, media. And Little was a C plus. That, that surprises me. Yeah, I think it's just like, just the definition of recency bias is that right yeah. there. Yeah. Well, but, not, not, I, and P, PFFs are so different because I saw they had like Campbell as like player 103 and then they had Little as like 29 or something like that. So they had some UCF guy. I think it was uh, Tay Gowan as like a second round player. Yeah. And, like, every other website had him like, as like a six at the earliest, I feel like. He's so good, but he, he's good, but he's played like five football games ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no. No, nonetheless, nonetheless. All well, right, here's a hypothetical for you. If his tackle is like quietly probably a top three need for the Jaguars going into the offseason, just because like Cam like going Juwan, into next year's offseason? No, into this offseason. Okay, yeah. Just because yeah. like Cam and Jawan were pretty bad. And a lot of that was definitely Gardner Minshew inviting pressure on the Not his all own, of it, yeah. But not all of it. Um, And so hypothetically – Let's say Cam takes a step forward, but Jawan Taylor doesn't. Do you see a scenario where the Jaguars extend Cam for like a reasonable salary, like maybe 20 a year uh, or maybe a little more than that just because of inflation? And then they have Walker, Walker try out the right side if like Jawan is bad again because he was pretty, pretty tough last year. And that, that is a good question. I think Walker could play on the right side, and I don't think they'd have any reservations about that. I'm just curious that they'd be willing to sink that kind of investment in Cam after drafting Little that high instead of just putting Little at left tackle and finding right tackle. But my gut right now tells me that if Cam has a good year, then that is the direction they'd go because I can't imagine that they'd be letting good football players leave this early into you know Urban's tenure. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, as bad as they were last year, I'm pretty excited to see the tackle play this year just because those like straight drop back sets or whatever you call them for the offensive line is pretty tough. And I think like being having a second off season or second season under Warhop is actually going to be a pretty big deal, as will be the obvious quarterback upgrade. Yeah. Here's my question. Who are you more confident in taking a step forward, Cam Robinson or Jawan Taylor? Um, I would say Robinson. Like, I, I feel like, care. I feel like maybe you could say that uh, Jawan's ceiling is higher, and that Cam has a higher floor. But I think Cam is like already like probably slightly below average. But like, he has like a fairly easy path to being like a solid starter if yeah. he just cleans some stuff up. But then Jawan was just kind of like all over the place on some plays. So, yeah, no, I I I'd agree with that. Okay, so. Now on to what was probably, uh, other than the Lawrence pick, I'd argue this pick was the most popular among Jaguars fans. Uh, Syracuse safety, Andre Cisco, your boy, my number man, sixty-five overall. Yeah, he, wh- wh- when I saw that, I, I you were the first person I thought of. <laughs> like, I, I was actually, I don't know what I was doing, but I guess I was probably scrolling Twitter and like I knew that the Jaguars were like up, but then like Roger Goodell's like announcement kind of like caught me by surprise. And so I glanced up and saw like Cisco with a teal behind it on the screen and like yelped and scared my mom right next to me. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty fired up. Cause I mean, Cisco is like kind of the definition of like a boomer plus boomer bus player more so in his playing style than like 
as a prospect and if he's going to be good or not, but he's a ton of fun. And like the Jaguars have like some solid safeties, I guess, but like solid is probably like a compliment for them. And so to kind of give them a flash and to give them a playmaker um, and like in the third round is really yeah. exciting. If he's healthy, he's a stud. He, he had more interceptions than his, you know, two years and plus one game or plus two games at Syracuse than the entire Jag seven safeties in the Jaguars <laughs> roster had in their combined NFL careers leading up to the draft. That, 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 that's not a joke. I, 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 I went through the time and researched that putting together the interception totals for every Jaguar safety. And I think like they had like 13 and Cisco had 14. I mean, just hit, the amount of times he was near the ball in college is kind of unprecedented. And there definitely were a lot of times where, you know, he was near the ball because he took kind of a reckless risk or, you know, maybe an angle he shouldn't take. And that's going to have to get pushed out of him at the NFL level. But I, I think it's just so hard to find game-changing safeties that if there are ones worth taking a chance on, his type of safety is probably the one. Because I, I, if you can balance the good with the bad, I, I really think, you know, that gives you a player who can change a lot in the Jaguars' defense because – you know, say he creates a uh, interception one game and then misses a tackle that leads to a 15-yard run the same game. Like, yeah, those are that's a good play and a bad play, but the interception is kind of immensely, immensely more valuable. So, to me, just what he brings you in terms of positives just completely outweighs the negatives, and there are some negatives. So, as long as he's healthy, I think that's a, a B-plus pick. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Like, he's just, like, a different player on tape than, like, everyone else was available, yep. like, around that spot. And so, like, you might as well take the risk with those, like, high-ceiling players that are just, like, clearly just studs. Like, my my <laughs> my player comparison for him was Russell Westbrook on the last Yeah, pod. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And then, like, along the same lines that you were saying, like, the point of the draft and, like, the team building at the end of the day should probably just be, like, put Trevor Lawrence in a position to succeed. And so that's like part of the reason why you can maybe yeah. back up the ETN pick is if he makes Lawrence's life easier. I'm definitely more as a receiver than a blocker, but if he like makes stuff easier for Lawrence, yeah. then that's probably worth it. And it's kind of the same thing on the defensive side. If you can get the ball back in Trevor's hands, exactly with turnovers and interceptions and whatnot, then it's worth it. So I'll, I'll say, I'll say A minus. I'll give yeah. Cisco an A. I, I, I'd give it. Guy. I'd give it an A if he wasn't coming directly off an ACL injury. That's fair. What, do you, you gave him a B plus. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. All I, right. I, Nash, I think. I think he's a really good player. The national media uh, gave him a B minus. So. Okay. But that's, that's also probably like probably along the same lines of your thinking, where everyone likes them, but is just yeah. a little nervous about the injuries. These, these top sixty-five picks. Go ahead and rank them one through five on where you would say the best picks. Obviously, number one's Lawrence. Right. Me, I'd go Lawrence, Little, Cisco, ETN, and then Campbell. I agree with that. The only thing I would flip is Cisco and Little. And Little. But I like I think they're like one A and one B or whatever. Like I think they're kind of interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. No, I and I I I feel pretty good about that. I, I honestly and I probably I, I didn't put them into tiers, you know, like you said, I put Cisco and Little together, and then I probably put ETN in the tier above Campbell. Yeah, because, that's definitely I, fair. I, I don't love the value of each, but I, I think ETN at least, you know, provides you with more of a clear path to impact immediately. Indeed. Yeah. So, well, moving on to the next pick, which was another one of my favorite picks. Uh, 
one of my guys during the draft process, Jay Tefele, uh, USC defensive tackle. They took him at number 106 overall. Uh, he, he's an under tackle. You know, he's a three technique. He's not going to be that super explosive first step who will just run by you like, you know, Malik Jackson was a few years ago. But he's a dominant uh, under tackle against the run. Uh, he has good explosion off the ball, and he can use his power, agility, and balance to get to the quarterback. I, I, I think he gives them a guy who, I, at least I thought, should have been picked probably 20 to 30 picks sooner, and a guy who I think has starting potential as a rookie, just, you know, as a uh, run defender. Yeah, I thought that – I was, like, shocked that both him and Davion Nixon were yeah. available in the fourth round. He's the best value they got, in my opinion, in the draft. I was going to say the exact same thing. I was kind of rooting for uh, Nixon a little bit more, but I think, like, it's obviously a great pick and, as you said, great value. And you've kind of said this or said something along the same lines, but, um, like, he's immediately, like, a starter quality player on run defense with potential to be good as a pass rusher as well. So, And, and in the fourth round, if you can take a player who excels in one area and has potential to get better in another, I think that's a home run. Yeah, for sure. Especially considering that the D-line was still a borderline need after yeah. the Jaguars signed 28 players to that position in free agency. Especially at especially at under tackle, because, I mean, you look at you look at the guys on the defensive roster, they have five techniques, they have nose tackles, uh, you know, they, they have all that, but w- what guys do they have to put, you know, on the on the shoulder of the guard? It's yeah. Taven Bryan and now Tefele, but leading into the draft, it was just Taven Bryan, and uh, if, if, they did, if, if they didn't draft the three technique in the draft, there's a good chance Taven Bryan would have been a lock to make your 20, 2021 Jaguars roster. Now, <laughs> m- more of a coin flip, I'd say. Yeah, but doesn't Costin play a little bit of three yeah, tech? Yeah, he, he, he does. I think he's more of a true nose tackle, but he did play three tech last year. Yeah, I think that just show, goes to show how bad Taven Bryan was when they it were was. forcing that trade off at the starter position. I mean, I mean but... they, 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 they literally said that. Costin didn't really give them much pass rush last year. And that's kind of the entire yeah. role of the three technique in that defense. That, that, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, <laughs> that's, that's just the be- best bit in the NFL is when like teams run like the Seattle cover three and only rush four. And they're like four like pass rushers, like the worst players on their team. And, and that's what's maybe, you know, that could be partially why Tufele fell. He definitely fell in part because he opted out last season due to COVID. He, uh, I, I highly recommend going reading into his story. He did so because, you know, his sister, you know, essentially, you know, her, her life was in danger, you know, due to COVID uh, d- disease and pandemic. Uh, he stepped away from football for a year, you know, for his family. And that obviously is probably what played a big part in dropping him. But I think the other part is just his role in the NFL may not be super valuable in terms of where you take it, that kind of run defending three technique. But I think it's, he's the type of player who that you'll enjoy a lot more on game days than you will when you talk about his perceived value, like, say, on Twitter or something. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited to see how, like, the defensive line kind of grows, including outside linebacker, um, just because, like, it's such an interesting – I don't know, like, what to call it, but, like, seeing how much, like, one, like, just star pass rusher can affect kind of the rest of the team – especially someone like Aaron Donald, where that just changes like literally everything. But like even guys like Miles Garrett um, and like how much that helps the guys on the opposite side. And so the Jaguars, I think, did a really good job of like kind of building up their depth. And now it'll be interesting to see how many yeah. of those can turn into borderline stars. And I mean, Josh no. Allen's like the obvious 
or probable answer, I guess. But yeah, no, 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 they they definitely have, and I'd say the defensive line depth was probably their second biggest need after quarterback. You know, entering the offseason, and yeah, they still have more work to do because, like you said, I I still kind of question if they have any game changers. But I say just the baseline talent is way up. I I remember looking at the deep and. I, 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 you can, you know, ask Demetrius Harvey how many times I said it during training camp practices last year. Well, I, I just looked at the defensive line and I'm like, man, this has to be one of the worst units in the NFL. And, you know, I mean, no, nothing against them. It's just they had no talent on that defensive line outside of Josh Allen last year. And he was hurt all year. Caleb yeah. Von Chason, obviously a talented player, but it took him a while to kind of heat up. If your two most talented players are, you know, two edge rushers, you know, weren't really available to play at a high level all that year, then you're not going to have a good defensive line. And the Jaguars kind of addressed the defensive line like they thought it was the worst unit on the team. Yeah, like the Jaguars ranks like probably bottom three in the league in 2019 in like rushing yards and just rush defense, I mean. And that was with Calais Campbell. Yeah. And so take Calais Campbell out of it and that – that's kind of what you got. It was, shouldn't have really come as a surprise. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. So uh, I'd give the Tufeli pick. Uh, I'll go ahead and give it an A minus just because of the value of it. And I, I was a big fan of him as a player. I thought he was a late second, early third round player. All right. I, I'm giving it a B just because I definitely like the pick a lot. I haven't watched him enough to be in love with him or anything, but like they, he just like fell right into their lap. It was, yeah. it made too much sense. But I don't have a, a national consensus pick because all the national websites were too lazy to look up every day three player. <laughs> no, no. Perfect. So we're cutting it off at Cisco. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, all right, move, moving next on. Uh, probably a pick that was maybe one of the most surprising to Jaguars fans, just because he wasn't like a giant name. Uh, to people, unless you're a draft Twitter psycho who knows 400, 500 players per year. Uh, <laughs> UAB's Jordan Smith. Uh, I, I, I talked to UAB head coach Bill Clark about Jordan this past week, and I'll have something on that out next week. But j- just from the way Clark describes it is, you know, w- when they saw him, just he, he just looks like a defensive end, you know, from, you know, his massive wingspan to his height to his ability to dip under offensive tackles. I'm interested on in what the story is behind his pro day because when I watch when I watch his games in 2019 2020, he plays much faster than he tested. He tested like a bottom tier athlete. I think he's the only guy who didn't have at least a you know like a 7.0 or better RAS that the Jaguars drafted. Yeah, he's like I think he's this year's Quincy Williams just because like. And once Quincy Williams was picked in the third round of twenty eighteen, I, I, I saw Jordan Smith projected in, in the in the fourth round. Okay, I was just gonna I say knew, like, after after Williams was picked, like there was like reports that came out that was like like I think uh, Kyle Shanahan was one of the people that said it, if I'm not mistaken. But like guys that were like, yeah, oh was. yeah, we were like targeting him earlier, like a lot earlier than kind of everyone else might have thought, and so. I mean, I'll say I didn't, I didn't know who he was until the Jaguars yeah. drafted him. No, but I, I think I, it was the same way where, like, he was, like, a little bit of a hidden gem. Yeah. I I kind of feel like he probably went about where expected. You know, he, he was a, a smaller school guy, but, you know, a former top recruit who went to Florida, ended up having to leave from Florida and go to JUCO because, you know, of a situation involving a credit card scandal. And then at UAB, he put up big numbers in 2019 not so much in 2020, and then had a so-so senior bowl. I mean, that, that basically sums up, you know, a, a fourth-round pick. I, I think he's an interesting option 
as a developmental project behind Josh Allen. It's just, I, I just think history shows that you are very rarely ever going to get impact from day three pass rushers and really develop them. So I feel like trading up for one, I, I, I think if you're going to trade up for a pass rusher, you have to do it the first two rounds. So I think if you do it anytime after that, I think history just shows that more likely than not, you're going to be losing some value. Yeah, I mean, more likely than not, you're not really going to get production out of like any day three players. And so you might as well take multiple shots at them versus kind of send all your picks for one guy. So I get what you're saying there. But I mean, they obviously needed to add to that room, especially when they uh, cut Joe Giles Harris, my hero, a few days <laughs> later. <laughs> that was a sad day in the low household. I know, I know. I know. And uh, Giles Harris is a, a good guy. I always enjoy talking to him. Uh, strangely, the Chiefs on Kamele, Kamele Correa like a day later instead of Joe Giles Harris. And I'm like, why? E- e- even the Jaguars didn't want him over Joe Giles Harris. <laughs> oh my gosh, Correa was such a bummer to watch. Yeah, he, he, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep this a positive episode, so I'm moving on from the <laughs> Correa talk. Nonetheless, uh, what's, yeah. what's your grade for uh, Smith? C minus. I'd give it a C plus if they didn't trade up for him. Yeah, I'm going to say D plus just because like it probably would have been a C for me if they just picked him wherever they were. But I don't know. According to analytics, trading up is always a bad idea 100% of the time. <laughs> so I'm following the analytics. Even when the picks don't matter to begin with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, no matter and, what. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I think we basically see that one the same way. I, I Like I said, I like him as a player. It's just, I mean, the, the odds of him hitting – Aren't, aren't that high no yeah so all right uh next is luke farrell who g- gus uh, go ahead and give your reactions to give go ahead and give your reactions to big I'll, I'll i'll give mine okay there was i honestly forget off the top of my head but there was someone well brevin jordan i think was picked like right after that at texans like, right like two picks later yeah i actually i didn't like i didn't love jordan as a prospect like i always liked tommy tremble way more like yeah. like months ago but i mean brevin just in the second round seemed like super unappetizing yeah unappetizing but like him in the fifth round i think he's a good enough athlete and can like kind of get enough production on just those like shallow crosser routes that he'd be okay especially since like Farrell is basically like the same inline blocking tight end that the jaguar signed chris manhurts to be and so but not as good of a blocker (laughs) yeah and maybe not as a receiver either yeah but i i I think they could have picked him with the last pick of the seventh round. It would have been a reach. That that I <laughs> I, I I just I I I, did, I could not wrap my head around that pick. I, I I understand they were basically saying, okay, we're gonna pick a tight end no matter what. Uh, this draft and holy crap, the maybe two tight ends in this draft we thought were good were drafted. So let's just draft a guy we know. But I just like you said, you know, he's gonna be a backup. The man hurts. I think his value is you know, they can now go out there in two tight end sets and kind of diversify their run game. And, you know, they can call max protection, you know, with him and Manhurts in there, kind of give them, yeah. you know, give Lawrence, you know, even more offensive linemen. So I do think he can help in that facet. As a backup blocking tight end, he's probably fine, but I just, I, I don't see why the Jaguars are drafting a backup blocking tight end, let yeah. alone one with limited, uh, li- limited production and one who's, I just that, that that was probably the pick. If you had told me what I thought was their worst pick of the draft, that's that's the one I'm picking, and that's even taking into consideration that it's a fifth round pick. 
especially after they did the exact same thing last year when they picked Tyler Davis in the sixth round to be their backup blocking tight end. Like, is Farrell really going to be that much better than Davis? But we'll see. I mean, I'm just I'm more interested in like just the position overall than Farrell's production, just because like I wonder if like Urban cares about tight ends and like just what the offense is going to look like without one. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you're gonna avoid like borderline ignore a position, then it might as well be tight end since, as we said, there's like pretty much four good tight ends in the entire league. But yeah, I mean, oh, there's hey. been like rumors and whatever of Colin Johnson being like a nah, move tight end and whatever, yeah. which yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it, and like after they drafted ETN, any other player is going to be at best your fifth best receiving option. You know, so. True. At this point, I think they should just may as well not not throw it to the tight end. Like, just forget about it for a year. Go back to the drawing board 2022 and see what you can do. Because it seemed like to me that Urban's mindset in the draft was, unless you're Kyle Pitts, tight end is just not that important. Yeah, that's fair. I did think um, – I wonder what would have happened because I think Pat Freermuth was picked a couple picks before their 45th pick, if I remember. No, no, I'm taking my victory <laughs> lap of the draft season, my friend. I had so many people tell me when I did a mailbag a few weeks before the draft stating that Fryermuth would be available at 45. I had so many people tell me there's no way it happens, no way it happens, and the truth shall set you free. He got picked at (laughs) – it was 50 or something. I don't know. It might have been 55, but I know it was well after 45. Oh, okay. That is is my correct take of the draft season. There you go. Congrats. Yeah. So – I mean, you're right about, like, Pitts versus everyone else. Pitts isn't even a tight end. He's just a weapon, which, like, offensive weapon is such a tired term, but that's really what it is. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I like, now that the offseason is, like, pretty much complete in terms of, like, roster building, I thought the Jaguars did a pretty good job of, like, kind of sticking with value and filling holes, but especially, like, kind of filling the roster holes. Yeah. And, like, if the one roster hole that's glaring is tight end, again, like, that's fine. I, I, I'll say the 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 most probably impressive compliment I can give them is that it was 15 times harder to do a post-draft 53 man roster this year than it was last year. But, I was the one say, thing I'll say about that is that I can't believe you left Daniel Thomas out, which like I understand why you did because yeah. it's a pretty crowded room. You got but it. um, did you have Wingard on there? No. <laughs> I know you didn't have Josh Jones on there. Huh? I don't know. I'd have to look yeah. look back at it. I'll just yeah, it's, scratch. It's, you not probably... fi- it's not a 54-man roster, Buttercup. <laughs> okay. Well, next time I'll come, I, I'm just saying, come with the I'm full just plan saying, for you. Based on my Twitter mentions, I did not know a fifth-round safety with two career starts was the most uncuttable player in the NFL. I'm just saying Good that's Lord. the one thing. No, no, not just you. That was that was the name I heard over and over. And I even literally said in the article, he's my toughest call. And I think he's really good, but holy crap, like this is not this is not cutting uh, Charles Woodson. Yeah. Well, I think part of it maybe is that like um Wilson's contract is up next year. It is, but so. the Jaguars are the ones who added a million safeties this offseason, not me. <laughs> that's fair all right add, add them is my is is my rebuttal so all right so what's your what's your final grade uh for Farrell, the 29 year old tight end all right i'm gonna give him a c because i just don't really have a strong enough take to push uh, me one way or another i have a strong take 
Okay. Yeah, that's, that's why the, you're here. That, that's the worst draft grade I've ever I've I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, for a fifth rounder too. Yeah. I feel like no fifth rounder deserves that. They don't, and that 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 tells you how <laughs> that that tells you how how disgusted I. Okay. <laughs> moving forward, moving forward from your take. Uh, no, nonetheless, uh, the the final draft pick the Jaguars made, Georgia Tech wide receiver Jalen Camp. I have, I have zero takes. Gus, I, I, I did not watch a second of him at Georgia Tech. Uh, really impressive athletic, uh, you know, uh, skill set. Was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, terrific, you know, an elite level RAS. A big, you know, height, weight, speed type uh, project. And I think those are the kind of players to take in the sixth round. My only take on this pick is when I asked Urban Meyer about the pick afterwards, it took him a solid five to six seconds to even fully comprehend who I was talking about. Dude, he knows no one's names. <laughs> He's done that multiple times. And, for um, like even for like good players. Like no offense to Jalen Camp, but like yeah, no. and, it's kind of tough. And I, I think my biggest takeaway of the camp pick is how much Meyer is trusting his coaches on evaluations because I mean he more or less said this is a Sanjay Law pick. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty interested to see like what he does on special teams or anything else because my second biggest, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't even know the word for it, but the thing, uh, sorry, hold on, I had technical difficulties. <laughs> my second biggest rebuttal for your 53 man roster was that Chris Quaybooks didn't make it, if I remember correctly, who was like, oh, I think he was like third in the league. He was definitely top five, probably top three in the league and punts down according to like sports radar or something. And that was despite missing multiple games. And like, I mean, we were talking about last season, like yeah. the dynamic duo of him and Logan Cook was like the most exciting part of the 2020 Jaguars. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm a little upset that you left him off the roster, but I mean, maybe Jalen Camp will be like that type of replacement player. Like, I don't know if he can play Gunner or not, but I'm just saying as a special team solid contributor. You'd have to think, you'd have to think with the skill set that, that Gunner is probably his path to making the roster. Yeah. Yeah. So I, Clay, Clay Brooks was another one. Like, you know, I wanted to leave on there strictly for special teams purposes, but they paid a returner and then have added a million deep to the back. So once again, I am not the man making these cuts. These are these are but one <laughs> yes, man's suggestions. Like, they hey, read I, our, they read our articles. Come on, <laughs> no, and uh, and for any consolation, fifty-three uh, man roster projections are my least favorite articles to do at all because uh, if if it was up to me, you know, teams would have expanded rosters and they wouldn't have to cut these dudes. But nonetheless, yeah, uh, Gus. Overall, what grade are you giving the Jaguars draft? Um, well, give me, give me, what's your camp grade? I'm giving it a C plus because I have a friend that goes to Georgia tech and he said that <laughs> I might have to pull it up. I forget what he said, but he said something about like how he's like a hard worker and like just something extremely. He, he brings, vague. he brings yeah. the lunch pail. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Uh, I'll give it a, I'd have to see if he was, was he drafted before Trey Smith? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, that that honestly plays a big part in this. Okay, let me let me let me look. I, it if he was drafted after Trey Smith, I'll go ahead and give it a C. If he was drafted before Trey Smith, yeah, he he was drafted like twenty picks before Trey Smith. I'll give it a D plus. <laughs> okay. I yeah, mean, my, they, have, they, have George... a, they have a crowded receiver room, so I mean, it's hard for me to to love the pick. Yeah, my Georgia Tech said he'll out 
he'll outwork anyone. I promise you that. <laughs> so great. <laughs> yeah. All right. You're giving it a D plus. Is that you said? Yeah. All right. I'm giving him a C plus. Okay. He's like, he, have you seen pictures of this dude though? Like he's yeah, literally he's freak. around DK Metcalf. Yeah, no, he's a freak. He's a freaking nature. It's like ludicrous. He's a freaking nature. All right. You go first. What's, what's your grade? Because I'm, I'm trying to do some calculations here. Because I have a little GPA calculator, but we'll see if I actually know how to add scores up. I want to stuff you in a locker right now. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go B plus. I, I think that might be disappointing to some because with the amount of capital they had, you would think they'd come out with like an A to an A plus type draft. I thought they did well in terms of filling needs, both in the short and long terms. Uh, you know, like left tackle, cornerback. Uh, you know, defensive tackle, safety, these were all big needs both now and in the future. So I thought I did fine there. And like I said, the two pick, the only two picks I can really say I had an issue with were the ETN pick strictly because of value and nothing to do with the player or the fit. And then the Farrell pick and Farrell was a fifth round pick. So I, 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 I truthfully believe it was a solid first draft for uh, Bulky Meyer. Yeah. Uh, like I would say Campbell was like the most puzzling just because of, like, the whole nickel thing. Like, the ETN pick wasn't my favorite, but, like, I understood why it was made. Like, that one might have – that might have been, like, the most understandable pick outside of Trevor Lawrence, honestly. But, yeah, I would say I would say A- minus just because, like, Trevor Lawrence is, like, the best prospect in a decade at the most – I was, at the I was factoring best him position. In. You what? I was factoring him in. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, there was – I saw some, like, Galaxy Brain – take on Twitter of like should the Jaguars be penalized because like they did what was expected by drafting Trevor Lawrence like should they not get an A for the Lawrence pick because that's what every other team would have done and I was like all right well there's no reason number 69 where why draft season is the worst like how do you even like come up with uh, that? I mean I saw takes wondering how many games Urban Meyer is going to make it as an NFL head coach after taking ETN and Perfectly fair to wonder how long Myra will last in the NFL, but I'm not positive he's going to retire because he picked a running back at 25 overall. Yeah. It's uh, for what it's worth, according to my uh, calculator, <laughs> uh, you gave the Jaguars a C plus and I gave them a B minus, but that's averaging everything and not like that's not like scaling Lawrence as more important yeah. than Jalen yeah. Camp. And I am. And your F kind of like offset things. So we are basically on the same page for everything. What, what does it do if I give it an F minus? <laughs> That's not possible. That breaks my calculator. All right. Well, there you go. Well, no, nonetheless, uh, I, I, I thought the Jaguars, you know, they did well. I would have certainly done a few things differently, you know, especially probably, you know, their second and third picks. But I at least understood their process with the picks, right. which is more than I can say, like, like with say the 2020 draft, I cannot tell you what the hell that process was. <laughs> can, can you? No. Oh my gosh. The, just the first round alone, honestly. No, the like, first the, the first round was we ran off Jalen Ramsey or in the process of running off Yannick and Gakwe. Let's draft two first rounders and pray to God they hit so people forget that we did that. And just massive I mean like CJ Henderson was a reach and apparently had they had like really good trade offers to trade back and then like just like, I mean, Chason's proved me wrong a little bit because fortunately he was pretty good yeah. at that end of last season. Yeah. But like just like a raw, short-armed defensive end who like only plays 13 tech 
uh, at twentieth overall. Yeah, I mean, right now they right now they t- they traded Jalen Ramsey and in return have gotten Travis Etienne and Caleb on chase on. I I think if you if you make the Rams an offer for those two players and Ramsey, they they laugh you off the phone, block Sprint your number, and then report you to the league. Yeah, yeah. So nonetheless, uh, so. Two more things we want to get into real quick before we go. One was to talk about the definition of second chances. <laughs> the, Do you believe in miracles? Yeah, exactly. The definition of what, what, what's that mean? Like this is peak uh, male fitness. Yeah. You may not like it, but this is what peak male performance yeah. looks like or peak yeah, you, body, whatever. You, you may not like it, but this is what a peak tight end performance looks like. Yeah. The Tim Tebow. <laughs> The potential Jacksonville Jaguar. Gus, uh, there's been, you know, talks about Tebow and the Jaguars for the last couple of weeks. Uh, they heated up even more so last week when Ian Rappaport reported that the Jaguars were expected to sign Tebow. And then uh, I think a few days later, Meyer went on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and detailed, you know, how they saw Tebow work out several times. Uh, he even accidentally called him a 20-year-old, which, hey, only, <laughs> only nearly 14 years off. Quote unquote accidentally. Yeah. But Gus, what what are your takes to the Jaguars considering signing a nearly 34 year old former quarterback who hasn't played tight end since high school, who hasn't been in the NFL since 2012? Who also tight end high school? Sorry to interrupt, but I looked I looked it up like freshman freshman year, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I had to look up to see if he ever actually played. <laughs> good, yeah. good research. Yeah. And uh, who also would not be on any NFL roster that wasn't led by Urban Meyer. What are your takes on that and why it should be a good move? I mean, first of all, like, he's not playing quarterback. If he was, like, signed as quarterback, like, oh, my goodness, that would be horrendous. He might be a better but, quarterback than tight end. Uh, I'm, I'm being yeah. completely serious. Um, I think he's – I don't know. I, I do not see anything – in his playing career that says tight end no that one pass like when sanchez threw him to like that like little out route and then like the one route that he ran as like a gator to the in the corner of the end zone those are like the two that were circling on the internet and they were both pretty horrendous like it was like that meme of drake running routes and whatever that one music exactly like even at his peak he was not a sudden athlete you know he was a 255 pound dude who could lower that's probably not what he weighed at all and i don't really care what Tim Tebow weighed in the mid 2000s, but he was, you know, a giant battering ram at quarterback who could, you know, essentially run through the fenders and who wasn't afraid to. I never saw him as a guy who you want to throw passes to because he's running by people. And I don't think he can, I don't, so I, I don't think he has the athletic skill set to be a pass catching tight end. And I don't see any chance in the world that he can be a blocking tight end. I, I think he would step onto the practice field and, uh, you know, Quincy Williams, Leon Jacobs, uh, you know, whoever it is, the third string linebacker would be able to blow him up on the first round. I mean, first of all, like nepotism exists like everywhere in business, but it, like especially yeah. in the NFL, it seems like it does. It does. And so, like, I think this is just like the most blatant example of nepotism existing from like a personnel and player standpoint. Yeah. And it was just like with like a famous or infamous it athlete, is. however you want to put it. And so it just got like blown out proportion more than anything else, especially since he hasn't even signed a document yet. And so it's just like, like more than anything else, it's just like made Twitter more hellish than it usually is for two days. But like on the football side of things, like I kind of just view him as like a poor man's Taysom Hill, which is saying a lot because I'm 
not, I don't really like Taysom Hill that much, and I don't know what Sean's, Sean Payne's obsession with him is. Um, but, I mean, Taysom Hill is 30 years old, and I'm almost positive that he's a way better athlete than Tebow is right now. But, like, still, like, I just think that even if Tebow's position is tight end, like, he's not going to be playing tight end, like you said, because anyone could just, like, rock him. And his, he's just going to be, like, in, like, for, like, red zone packages, short yardage, like, almost maybe more of a diversion, which I don't know if you're – why, if you're an NFL defender, you'd be, like, distracted by Tim Tebow. But, like, maybe we'll see what happens. But, like, I think the main thing is, like, short yardage, red zone, trick plays, yeah. just, like, random stuff like that if he even makes a roster spot, which like, I think if he makes a roster spot, then people will have the right to be like really upset. But right now it's just like a random off season story. Nonetheless, until Tebow is on the roster, that is the amount of energy we're giving that on this podcast. Gus, last thing before we go, uh, why don't we go through, you know, the new 17 game schedule and, you know, kind of take some getting used to. Dude, I hate it. I, I miss 500 so much. <laughs> but eight, how glorious is 8-8-1 eight, eight and going to be? Like, that's definitely like a Falcons and a Titans type of record. Like, how that awesome is. is that? That is. <laughs> I, I, I'm God, I'm never going to get used to it. So, all right, uh, Gus, let's just go ahead and go back and forth. And okay. then we can each give our, uh, you know, final season win-loss. Okay. All right, week one. Jaguars and Texans. I got Jaguars winning there, and that's probably one of the most important week one games in the entire NFL because yeah. if the Jaguars start off their regime with a loss to the Texans, I, I, I'm i afraid of what will happen to the city. I think it's like a maybe a top three most important game of the season because I think if they don't agree. by more than a touchdown, then it's a disappointment. Like Honestly, even if Deshaun Watson plays, which it probably won't happen, like, they still have the worst roster in the league, and, like, Watson's still going to have to do the exact same thing he did last year and, like, put on a Superman cape every year. But, again, it's probably unlikely that Watson plays. And in that case, I mean, I think the Texans might be the first team in NFL history to lose 17 games. So, we'll see. Yeah, no, so we're both on the same page there. Uh, week two versus the Denver Broncos first home game for Urban and Lawrence I I went with a loss just because I think the Broncos have a more experienced and more complete roster but the Jaguars obviously have the quarterback advantage so I could see this going either way yeah I agree like basically Vic Vangio said either like yesterday or um somewhat recently that they're going to split snaps 50-50 to start with Bridgewater and Locke I feel like if Locke starts the Jags win and if Bridgewater starts the Broncos win, but I mean, the same. Really? yeah, I mean, like Drew Locke is terrible. That's the main reasoning. I think Teddy Bridgewater kind of is too. I mean, I won't argue that, but I think he's like at least decent and like fits what Fangio wants, which is like just yeah. check the ball down and like don't make, make turnovers. Right. And that's what Locke does. I, but yeah, I, like the, I don't just, I don't disagree with you on Locke. I, I've never seen a fan base commit themselves to a more mediocre <laughs> It's hysterical, man. Dude, I like he is defended like he's already like proved himself as a franchise quarterback and i'm like uh, it's getting kind of weird but yeah nonetheless uh week three against the arizona cardinals i went with a loss here strictly because until i see the jaguars uh, stop a mobile quarterback i'm gonna have a hard time believing they can do it yeah i'm i'm doing loss for the broncos and the cardinals as well okay i I, you know, we're, not many people have done that. I, I, I've seen a lot of people getting the Jaguars at least one of those wins. And 
I don't know, man. It would just be surprising to me to see them be two and one. Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, like the first six weeks, but especially the first five weeks is like a little bit of a cupcake schedule. And so, like, I mean, I'd, I just I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being like a decent amount of one score games, honestly. And it's just kind of not luck, but it could kind of go either way. Wouldn't yeah. be surprised by that. Yeah, I'd be absolutely. much more surprised if it was like multiple score games. And and that's that's going to be and that's going to be the way I hedge uh, with this record prediction is that hey, this is my prediction, but I think there's going to be a couple of one score games <laughs> that can win. So hey, this is a L, but it might be a W. Yeah, exactly. Hey, that's that's what I do best, baby. So all right, moving on to week four, <laughs> their only primetime game of the year at the Cincinnati Zach Taylors. Gus, who, who, who are you giving the dub to? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going Jaguars. I, I, I think they beat the Bengals handedly. I do not think the Bengals have a good roster or coaching staff. Oh, I don't know. Originally, I put down a W pretty easily, but I think it might go with an L. Like, I think. Joe Burrow even going to play? Oh crap! I didn't even think about that. Is, is he not going to play? When did he turn his ACL? Uh, it was the second half of the season. I think. I'm still gonna say I think that their like roster is a little bit more talented than people give them credit for. And like, I mean, I can't really say the same of the coaching staff, but I think if like they're healthy enough just four weeks into the season, like they I mean, I know like Carl Lawson to Trey Hendrickson was like a big downgrade, even though it didn't doesn't appear so in the contract money. But like I think their defense has like enough players. I don't know. I think at the Bengals, the first like Short week for Urban Meyer. Um, playing it safe Un- until I see it, I'll believe it. So that's an L for me. I just, I know Urban Meyer hasn't coached in the NFL yet, but I still refuse to say I think Zach Taylor will out coach Urban Meyer. That's fair. I, I won't argue with, with yeah. you on that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad we're at least on the same page there. So, yeah. Week five versus the Titans in Nashville. Uh, I go with the Jaguars loss. But I do think the Jaguars and Pines games will be closer this year because, uh, I mean, Joe Cullen, uh, he, he knows the recipe to stopping Derrick Henry. The Ravens' defensive front was stellar at it in last year's playoffs. And I think the Titans overall are going to take a bit of a step back this year. So I think the Jaguars lose, but I think it's a close one. I think that the Jaguars win, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't close, only because, like, they're going to have the long week to prepare after Thursday night football. And, like, it's – more than anything else, I'm just, like, down in the tens this year. Like, their defense yeah. is, like, maybe bottom five last year, honestly, and they lost a lot of snaps, and they only added Janoris Jenkins, who's, like, decent, but pretty old, and um, Bud, oh, Dupree. Bud Dupree, yeah, who won't have T.J. Watt on the other side of the line and is and, coming off a torn ACL. Yeah. And more importantly, like, I talked about defense first, but they lost Corey Davis and, most importantly, Arthur Smith and, and John Johnny Smith. Like, it just keeps going on. Like I don't, I would be shocked if they finished they're, with an above 500 record. They're they're an AJ Brown injury away from having one of the NFL's worst skill group positions, and just like worst records in the NFL. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Hey, I've been saying for two years this is the year Tannehill will turn back into a pumpkin. So <laughs> yeah, we'll no, see, we'll I, I was calling regression last year too, and then they kind of like squeaked into the playoffs again. But I'm ready for it this year. Same here. Same here. So. Uh, week six, London versus the Dolphins. I gave the Jaguars the dub. If this game was in America, I'd give them the loss. There's nothing that shows that playing in London gives them advantage, but hey, that's my reasoning anyways, and this is my predictions. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jaguars pull this one out, but I just really liked the. I, I just think Tua kind of stinks, man. I see. I don't think so. Like, I don't. I certainly like. I wasn't a huge fan of his before the draft, and like, I'm still not a huge fan of him now, even. But like, I'm definitely think I'm more on the positive side than mm-hmm. the majority of people in terms of like how he did in his first year, and like. There's like not saying that he was like good or anything, but I don't know. I think that the Fuller and Waddle um, picks are going to help a ton or oh, yeah. additions. And then oh, like yeah. Flores is like inarguably a really good head coach. And oh, so yeah. I, I'd say Flores is probably going to be the type of step test Lawrence has this year, just because like like the problems he gives you at the line of scrimmage in terms of the looks he gives you. It's it's so fun. It, that defense it, is so fun. Like watching them against the Rams last year was hilarious. Like Jared Goff, <laughs> like he, he looked like he wanted to disconnect his controller mid game. Yeah, the the game against the Cardinals is really fun too. But so I I, I think we're mostly on the same page there. Uh, week seven by week, Gus. The Jaguars have lost the bye week for I, I got to say at least like five or six weeks in a row. It's it's kind of like five or six years in a row. It's kind of amazing at this point. Is there any way they could lose the bye week this year? <laughs> what does that even mean they lost the bye week? I mean, uh, uh, every time they have a bye week, something terrible has to happen. Um, last, last last year, the bye week was when it got announced that Jake Luton was the new starting quarterback. Because <laughs> Gardner was. I was a fan of that at the time. I was a big Jay Luton guy, but <laughs> Jay Crouton. Um, I I can't know. I'm not. I don't want to take. Yeah, you know, with Urban Meyer leading the team. Okay. <laughs> with point. the way the offseason's already good gone. Good point. Hey, as, as long as they keep Trevor from getting deported from London, I think they'll be good. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, week eight, Jaguars at Seattle Seahawks. I'm going with the Jaguars loss just because having to go from the West Coast immediately after the London trip, like I know you have the bye week in the middle, but that just, I don't know why the NFL did that to them. Yeah. I feel like they like, I don't know either. I'm going to go with the W, though, because this is a revenge game. And because yeah. you got Sanjay Lay and you got Bevel and you have Shoddy. I don't know. It's definitely like going hey. halfway around the world in two Sha- weeks is kind of Shaquille brutal. Griffin? Shaquille Griffin. I mean, again, mm-hmm. the names just keep coming. Yeah. So I think, like, like, as we'll probably talk about, like the weeks eight through 14 stretch is like absolutely brutal. Yeah. And I looked it up, and according to like the projected win totals for 2021, the Jaguars have like the hardest strength of schedule in that stretch but like i wouldn't be surprised if they go zero and six in that stretch but at the same time like i think they'll squeak out one or two against like a solid team i was gonna say i feel like i feel like two and four yeah maybe maybe a ceiling with one and five being like most likely but i I wouldn't put zero and six out of the picture either because i mean it's it, it all it's like a bunch of playoff teams and then the two teams that the most people have picked from to go from worst to first yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think they'll so. just like squeak out one or two, and so Seattle is going to be okay. All right, uh, Jaguars versus the Bills. I I give them a loss just because I think I, I don't know if their secondary is mature enough yet to take on uh, uh, Buffalo's passing game. Yeah, the fact that they retain both of their coordinators is kind of ridiculous. Like they have, like they quietly retained a ton of players. Like it wasn't like the Buccaneers or anything where they returned all twenty-two starters. But I mean, they were really good last year, and they're going to be really good again. So, yeah. I mean, I I would say this is a firm L. Yeah. No. Same here. All right. So week ten, Jaguars at Colts. Uh, I, I'm going to give the Jaguars the the win here. I just I 
I'm not that impressed by the Colts this year. I think they're the same Colts team as last year with downgrades at left tackle and quarterback. I'll go with a win too. I I mean, everyone's like favorite head coach and general manager combo is Ballard and Reich, but like they still don't have a quarterback and it's kind of to be determined if Ballard is actually good because he like never actually pulls a trigger. Like he might have like, he might have just like, gotten a little bit lucky like a couple years in a row with second rounders and like once that luck wears off like who knows if he's like Howie Roseman where like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl he was like like people were ranking him over Bill Belichick and like other GMs as the best in the league yeah now no one wants any part of him and so like it's gonna be that is that is a good point Ballard's trajectory if the Colts don't really do much that's a good point Roseman was literally seen as like the beautiful mind of like NFL GMs after 2017 and when it was clear at least to me that they kind of caught lightning on a bottle so I'll, I'll go with you i i'm more confident in in reich being a good coach than i am in ballard being a good gm definitely agree with so, that but until they actually have someone that can throw the football yeah i'm with you so week 11 jaguars versus san fran i think if jimmy g plays the jaguars win this game but if trey lance plays who i expect to i just i, I think kyle shanahan is going to be too maniacal with what he can throw at defenses now that he has a dual threat quarterback and just Nick Bosa against the Jaguars tackles is not a uh, is is not exactly a good matchup. Yeah, I would say uh, loss either way. Like I think Lance would definitely be more dangerous, but I think like I mean the Niners have been just like hammered by injuries, and like yeah. maybe that isn't just a bad luck thing. Like as we've seen with like the Chargers, like some teams just kind of stay injured, and plus they like lost solid and like plenty of defensive talent. Um, but I mean. Kyle Shanahan is just a monster. So yeah, no. I'll, so we're we're in agreement on that. Okay. So moving on to Week Twelve, Jaguars versus the Atlanta Falcons. This was a tough one for me. I went with Falcons winning strictly because I don't think the Jaguars secondary can stop like Ridley, Julio, and Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst. Yeah, <laughs> and Hayden Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like that's like definitely. A, a good point and a strong point, but I feel like an underrated part of like the Falcons offseason is that they don't have Dan Quinn anymore. And like, I think there's probably a reason that they like just could not win a game in the fourth quarter. And plus they have uh, Dean Pease, I think is a defensive coordinator. Yeah, he is. Which is pretty cool. Um, So I think him and Arthur Smith are just going to be like a big upgrade for the coaching staff yeah. and their defensive like roster is pretty iffy, but even still, I think, I think the Falcons are going to win that one. Yeah, I'm with you. So, week 13, Jaguars at Rams. I just, uh, you know, as much as much as I think no. this would be an entertaining game, yeah, it's just Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. I, I just, I don't think the Jaguars are ready to hang with those guys yet. Same. Yeah, I think the Rams are like everyone's favorite dark horse candidate for Jalen Ramsey. Campers, but. Jalen's going to put Shark and Chenault in clamps, and it is going to be terrible to read the reactions. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so okay. Uh week 14, Jaguars at Titans. I went with the Jaguars loss strictly because it's in Nashville. Yeah, I I have no other reason. I think they split the difference. Also, like Derrick Henry, every single year, like I promise I'll post a stat again this upcoming season. But like the first game against the Jaguars, he's always has like maybe 70 yards and a touchdown. The second game he averages like 250 <laughs> rushing yards and like 18 touchdowns. It's ridiculous. Makes no sense. Yeah, All so right. I'm going to say L as well. All right. Uh, week 15, uh, when when I ranked the 17 games in terms of intrigue, 
this was, you know, the dead last, and it's not close. Week 15 against the Texans. You're playing a Texans team that's probably going to be playing out the string on a season. Uh, the Jaguars are unlikely to be playing for a postseason burst. I'll, I'll get the Jaguars a win, but I can't think of a single reason to watch this game unless you're, you're being financially, yeah, unless you're financially obligated to, or unless you just want to see more Trevor Lawrence, which understandable. Yeah, I I got nothing to add. It's yeah, will hopefully be or should be an easy yeah. W. All right, Jaguars at Jets. Uh, I I I went with the Jaguars win. I, I think it's going to be a explosive back and forth offensively, but I think the Jaguars are much more equipped to stop the Jets' offense than vice versa. I I still do not like the Jets' secondary. Yeah, I agree. I think that just like in this one, like I really like what the Jets did in the off season, but. Like they just like they added a lot of talent in the defense, but just not enough. And I think just like this will be one of the games that Trevor Lawrence is just like the better quarterback. And so I'll say Jags W also. How did you feel about trading up for a guard? Um oh about the Jets trading up for a guard? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have done that, but like I didn't like despise it like other people seem to. Yeah, like, that that left side of like AVT and Beckton is like yeah, no, like that's just fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that that that's probably gonna be like a top five left side, like probably like after like a month. But yeah, and then I love like I love the Elijah Moore pick for them. I love the Carl Lawson signing. I love them keeping Marcus May. Um, like I, I don't love Sala, but like I think he'll be solid in the guy that he brought over as offensive coordinator you mean, I think will be solid. You mean solid? <laughs> all right. Yeah, time to end all the pod. Right, yeah. <laughs> Week 17, Jags at New England. I'm going with Jaguars loss only because Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback. I do not think the Patriots are going to be good this year. I didn't like their offseason as much as a lot of people did, uh, but I still think they get the win just because Belichick's record against rookie passers is kind of impeccable. I'm saying Jags win because it's Mac Jones against I don't care. So yeah, un- understandable, understandable. All right, week eighteen at the end of the season. Oh, I feel like every single year the Jaguars get the Colts in the season. This year, <laughs> it feels uh, like it's been thirteen years in a row, yeah, man. This this year again, Jaguars at Colts. I'm going with a loss on this one, strictly because I think the Colts are going to be playing for more at that point in the season and that they're probably going to go ball so wall. I'm going to give them a win just because I feel weird giving like not splitting the series for like the Colts and the Titans both, but like it's going to be home and like the Jags have just like always played the Colts <laughs> fairly well. And I think that like, if the like Jaguars is tough stretch of games came at the end of the season, yeah. I could see them just like kind of dropping off, but like I gave them wins in the previous three weeks yeah. So I think they'll be able to like keep riding the momentum and like I think like they could be like one of the teams that's like not really in the playoff race, but like if everything felt perfectly for them, then they could be. So they'll still be playing for something. So yeah, I'll give the Jags a W again there. Okay, so what what's your final win loss record? I mean, you gave them a four and two record in the division. Um, six. Seven. There's no way it's six. Yeah, no. Let's hear it. <laughs> let's hear it. Did I give them eight wins on accident? How many? Let me. You, you gave them four wins in the AFC South alone. Yeah. No, I gave them five wins because I had them beating the Colts twice. <laughs> I thought you had them splitting the difference. 
I think I might have given them eight wins on accident. Halfway through, I like was looking at my finger, and there was only like three. I was like, oh, I gotta give them more wins. Okay, right, go, go ahead and go through it real quick. Uh, okay, figure out which one. <laughs> I I I had them at six and eleven, but I think they're gonna be enough one score games that I could easily see seven and ten, eight and nine. I, I think eight and nine is probably the ceiling. I think that they're gonna be a lot more competitive. I know people are disappointed with that projection, but I think just that much of an improvement compared to last year would speak volumes. I mean, th- this was not a roster that was underrated heading into the offseason. I mean, this was legitimately a 1-15 in roster. It's more talented now. I think Lawrence will make up for a lot more wins, but uh, I-, I think it's still a little bit too early now and a little too young. Plus, we still have to see Urban Meyer actually do it on the NFL level. 7-10, uh, and 10, was that yours? 6-11. and 11. Oh. Uh yeah, somehow I got to eight wins. So I guess my prediction is eight and nine, although I definitely feel like that's a bit high. But with that being said, like the Jaguars have Trevor Lawrence, and like I just I, think he's the real deal. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably skewed by the fact that I gave them six wins last year and then they slapped me in the face with it. <laughs> so did I. I was like, I like on like one of my betting columns, I was like, yeah. the Jags over looks pretty good at just three and a half wins. Dude, I, I, I thought they were going to be bad, but I didn't think they'd be worse than the NFL. Fans. Yeah, because the thing is, like, I thought they would like just like get a little bit lucky, but like yeah. Marone's like record in one score games was horrific. Yeah. So not just last year, but like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Roll Tide. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, Gus, do you have any more takes to send us out of here? I gave several hot takes, including I would rather see. Well, I, I wouldn't say rather. I most equally put Tim Tebow and Luke Farrell's grandfather on a playing field as a tight end. That is my hot take of the week. Gus, you got any sentence out of here? Um, no, I think just eight wins is kind of hot. Not giving ETN something less than a C plus is kind of hot, given what I've thought about the running backs position in the past. But I really think that they'll be able to use utilize them in a way that it won't be a waste. Um, I don't think Tebow was. I mean, I kind of do think it was an awful signing, but just not nearly as much as people online and, seem to think. In fairness, they haven't done it yet. Yeah, so. But I am one of those people that would think it would be bottom five signing in NFL <laughs> history. But nonetheless, <laughs> none the less. All right, no, I think I, that's all I got. Yeah. All right, well, hey, me too. I'm tapped out. But thank you guys, uh, as always, for joining uh, the take session that Gus and I always have. I, I, I love doing this. Uh, sorry again that it's so late. We will make sure to be back two weeks late next time. Until then, you can yep. find me at Gus underscore Logue on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm at underscore John underscore Shipley, and you can find us at si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. Thanks, and be back next time.